When I became an atheist in college, it wasn't the science courses that led me away from my faith. It was the English courses. In English, I dove deeply into Greek mythology, devouring Homer, Aeschylus, Euripides, and Sophocles. One day after class, I chased my professor down the sidewalk and I asked him, did the Greeks believe in their God as deeply as Christians believe in their God? Startled, he kind of answered, I I guess so. This is Christian Curious, and I'm your host, Dr. Haley Gray Scott. Each week, we tackle some of the hardest, most pressing questions facing Christians in the 21st century. This week, I'm speaking with Dr. Doug Groteis about how Christianity is unique among other religions. Dr. Doug Groteis has recently published a new edition of his classic work, Christian Apologetics, which was first published in 2011. Dr. Groteis is an apologist and author of several books. He's the professor of philosophy at Denver Seminary, and he was a campus pastor for 12 years prior to obtaining a position as an associate professor of philosophy of religion and ethics at Denver Seminary in 1993. Dr. Groteis, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me again. In the latest edition of your book on Christian apologetics, you address the issue of the uniqueness of Christianity. You know, in, in at the top of the show, I, I mentioned how um, diverted my faith was by the religions of the Greeks and how emphatically they seem to believe in their gods. And I'm curious as to why you thought it was important to include the issue of the uniqueness of Christianity in your book. Right. I have a chapter on religious pluralism, and I admit that I don't really take on directly uh, Greek religion because it's not as much of an issue today. But it's a good question uh, as to whether the fervency of belief is correlated to an objective truth. Right. And I think that's the ultimate issue because you can be very passionate about something very sincere in your beliefs and be passionately and sincerely wrong. I think that's kind of the easy way out. People might say, I have a faith or a spirituality that gives me meaning and significance, and so that's all there is to it. But we've got to push beyond the self here and ask some questions about objective reality. And when you look at worldviews, we have so many religions, philosophers, and so on, but really the options are fairly contained. So either there is no God, there is one God, that one God is a personal being, or that one God is an impersonal being, or there are many gods. So those are the essential metaphysical options, so to speak. And the way that I defend the Christian faith, which is called apologetics, is comparatively. So I present the Christian worldview, and then I consider uh, how that differs from atheism and pantheism, that's the belief that everything is divine. And what I do is marshal the evidence from science, philosophy, human experience, history, and so on, uh, to say that the Christian perspective is true and rational, and at the end of the day, philosophically, really makes a whole lot of more sense of uh, the world and our own experience than the other worldviews. But you have to get specific. So, of course, Christianity is a type of theism. I believe there is one infinite personal God, but what distinguishes Christianity from the other types of monotheism, like Judaism and Islam, is that this one God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, and that God in Christ 
came to Earth, he incarnated in real space-time factual history. Uh, and we have the record of that in the Gospels, and we have the elaboration of that in the Epistles, and this is anticipated in the Hebrew Scriptures and the Prophets and the life of Israel and so on. So I think it's good to be general to start with, meaning what are the options for belief in an objective reality, and then to get specific about the particular religion that you are considering. And as a Christian, I'd say everyone should consider, should look into Christianity very seriously, because the claims are so strong uh, that God himself came to earth in Christ to set us right with God through his life, death, and resurrection. And if we know Christ as Lord, and we come to him as sinners in repentance, uh, that we receive pardon. We are acquitted, we are justified, and we have a new dimension of our lives, that is, God at work within us to guide us and lead us in this life and into eternity. But of course, when you make claims like that, people will say, well, what about Buddhism? And what mm-hmm. about Hinduism? You know, and what about Islam? And then you have to just get into that discussion. But a lot of people will leave it at that. They'll say, we have so many other religions. It's simply wrong for you to say that your religion is true or better than any other one. And I'd say, well, let's talk about it. Let's consider the claims of these other religions. And a Christian who is getting into this kind of apologetic discussion should never be haughty or have a sense of superiority because the Christian faith is based on receiving Christ, and that is something we receive by faith, and it's offered to us by the grace of God. So uh, the Bible teaches that no one can be redeemed or justified or saved through their own good works or a mystical experience or anything like that. It's all to the credit of God. But if we have received, if we have confessed Christ as Lord, then we need to give a reason for the hope that is within us, but to do this with gentleness and respect. Right. So what do you think, you know, just to to take one example, what makes Christianity more compatible or, you know, with what we know to be true about the world than Islam, per se? Why would we want to choose Christianity over Islam? Right. Well, I know that's a big question. Yeah, but I think I can give a shot. (laughs) Uh, Christianity and Islam are both monotheistic religions, so they agree that there is an all-good, all-powerful God who created the world a finite time ago, and there's also an agreement that God is Lord of history, that he sends prophets, and so on. The big difference is the person of Christ and the documents that speak of Christ. So uh, Islam claims that the New Testament has been corrupted, and so when the New Testament, or actually any other part of the Bible, says that Jesus was God incarnate, or that he died for our sins, this is not the original message. Somehow, corruptions have made their way into the text, because uh, the Quran, the holy book of Islam, claims that Jesus did not die on the cross at all. He avoided it and ascended directly to heaven. And it also claims that he was not divine, it denies the Trinity, it says, say not three. So you've got this agreement on monotheism, but you have a disagreement over historical claims related to Christ and salvation. And at that point, you have to say, well, let's compare the New Testament with the Quran. And if you look at the Gospels, you have four different writers, and they wrote 
not very long after the events they described, you have two apostles writing and then two people that uh, were also in a position to know. Mark was an associate of Peter, and Luke was an associate of the Apostle Paul. So you look at that, and you look at uh, the testimony of the Apostle Paul and the epistles and so on in the Book of Acts, you've got all kinds of resources historically um, about Christ, and it says that Christ was divine, that he came to die to atone for our sins. And then about 500 years later, you have someone who goes to a cave to meditate, to seek God, and supposedly hears a voice saying, recite. And what do I recite? Well, recite what the angel says. And this ends up as the Quran, the 114 surahs of the Quran. And you have to really take it that Muhammad really heard from God. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't see any reason to believe that, ultimately, because the evidence, the history, the facts are on the side of the Jesus described in the New Testament and the rest of the Bible. And simply because someone claims to be a prophet who has heard from an angel uh, doesn't somehow overturn or overthrow the previous argument for Jesus. So in my book, I had my colleague, uh, Dr. Craig Blomberg, who we both know, mm-hmm. uh, wrote a chapter on the historical reliability of the New Testament. And if you just put that side by side with the evidence for the Quran, uh, it's not an even battle. I mean, it's not a, an even case is a better way to put it. Right. So I think, and there are so many other reasons, too, but I, let's go to an existential one if we have a minute. In Islam, uh, God is just and merciful, but you really don't know how Allah's mercy will kick in. So the only thing you can do is try to have your good deeds, good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, and you hope at Judgment Day that your good deeds will be enough to make it into paradise. Now, you're on your own with Allah. Uh, Islam has no mediator. So the Christian message is, the gospel, the great good news is that we are actually helpless and hopeless, and we can't do one good thing to merit salvation, because God is infinitely holy and we are unholy. So the gap between God and us can only be bridged by God himself through Jesus Christ. So it's not by works, lest anyone should boast before God. It is accomplished, forgiveness, redemption, justification, is accomplished through the work of Jesus Christ, and then it is received by acknowledgement, by faith. And I think that is a compelling message for people who are really wrestling with their conscience or wondering, could I ever please God? How do I stand with God? Who is God? And Scripture says that, Uh, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, that means Christ, and He has come. Uh, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And it also says, I'm quoting from John 1, that uh, the Son has, the Logos has made the Father known. So if you want to know who God is, uh, the best place to go is to Christ Himself. He is the mediator, He is the one who paid the ultimate price, who atoned for our sin. Yeah. Um, You know, many, I think we have discussed this before, um, but, you know, uh, there's a lot of people who have what I call an a la carte approach to to spirituality, um, meaning they kind of pick and choose from elements 
uh, from many faiths to incorporate into their daily lives. For example, you know, you may have a, a professing Christian that I know you love this um, goes to yoga on a regular basis. Um, uh, why do you think that this is a dangerous? Uh, I mean, do you, do you think this is a dangerous approach to faith? And if so, why? Right. Well, in terms of the idea of being eclectic, uh, being eclectic is not necessarily wrong as long as you're responsibly eclectic and everything you believe coheres into a unified whole conceptually. So, in fact, the way I do apologetics, you might say, is eclectic because I draw evidence from science and history and human experience and so on. But it all converges on a unified and coherent worldview and way of life, which is Christianity. The concern that I have is when people are irresponsibly eclectic, and they might say, I like this idea from Buddhism, and I like this idea from Christianity, and it sits well with me. Kind of a smorgasbord approach. Right. But I'm not going to really think very hard about whether these beliefs correspond to reality, whether they're true, or even if they get along with each other. It's sort of like if it makes me feel good. Yeah, it's kind of reducible to a spiritual hedonism. And I think we have to hold ourselves to a higher standard than that, because sometimes what is true makes you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I'm concerned when people use the word, the phrase, uncomfortable with that to mean it's true. I mean, I can be comfortable with a lot of things that are false, and I might need to be uncomfortable to find out what's true. Are you ready to earn a master's degree, but concerned about fitting more into your already busy schedule? Visit denverseminary.edu to learn more about our fully online programs, financial aid opportunities, and more. The education you receive at Denver Seminary will challenge you to grow spiritually, intellectually, relationally, and professionally. Learn more today at denverseminary.edu. we've got to really aim at the truth and Jesus said if you're truly my disciples then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free lies may seem to set you free but they ultimately don't I mean the the, uh, chickens come home to roost eventually so to speak yeah I remember uh, holding a focus group of atheists and agnostics um, a few years ago and I asked the question how do you make moral decisions and one young woman said, I actually just go with whatever I feel like, you know, whatever is true to me and whatever, whatever feels like it's the right, it's right for me. And I asked her, how do you, how do you come to the, the, the place where you know that you are comfortable with that? I mean, what, what is your ultimate you know your ultimate foundation behind that and it actually she it just came down to herself and to her own world views of where she had sort of sorted through different philosophies and pick and choose you know whatever made her feel good and that's how she made her moral decisions right well that makes me think of carl truman's excellent book the rise and triumph of the modern self and he discusses how this idea of expressive individualism has come to the fore in our culture, especially with sexual ethics, but everywhere. The idea is that self is detached from any sacred order or any objective norms or mores or authority 
and uh, mores is not the best word, any ultimate moral authority or spiritual authority. So it's simply all about the self, and then what does the self consult? The self. <laughs> and that's about it. Right. In the Christian message, uh, we are created by God in image and likeness. We're fallen. We have this terrible tendency to be selfish and to lie to ourselves. So we need a perspective. We need a framework to understand ourselves as creatures, as fallen creatures, who can be redeemed through Christ, and then as beings who are accountable to uh, the authority of God as revealed in the Scriptures. So we can consult something beyond our feelings or beyond our impulses. Uh, we can actually deny ourselves, take up our crosses daily, and follow Christ. And the idea of denying the self is as close to a heresy as you can come to today for many people. You know, um, a lot of really great thinkers and apologists, you know, including, you know, C.S. Lewis, you know, have, have noted the similarities in world religions, you know, in a bid to claim the validity of the Christian faith, sort of the idea that many religions point in some way to the Christian faith, um, you know, and when you're writing about the uniqueness of Christianity, it is a, it's a different approach to, you know, uh, pointing towards the validity of, of Christian faith. Why do you think that it's important to to note the uniqueness of Christian faith among all other religions. Right. Well, there are similarities and differences among the religions of the world, and that's a big, complex issue. But what really stands out, of course, about Christianity is the person and the achievements of Jesus Christ. So you have Savior figures in other religions, but the issue is whether or not, whether or not you really have a Savior uh, who came to Earth, who lived in history, who died, who rose again in space-time history, and who ascended to heaven and is at the right hand of the Father. So, In his human the, form, which is yeah, you know right. still blows my mind. Right, right, the God-man who was a participant in history uh, and said things like, I and the Father are one, I'm the gate, I'm the way, the truth, and life. So think of another religion for a minute where we have a identifiable founder, like Buddhism. You have the Siddhartha Gautama. Um, Siddhartha Gautama supposedly became enlightened and became a sage and then taught the Dharma, the Four Noble Truths and so on. But he never claimed to be an incarnation. He never claimed even to be a prophet because he left the question of the existence of God unresolved. He said it's not important. And he proceeded as if there were no God. So he couldn't be an incarnation. He couldn't be a prophet. All he could be would be a sage, giving us the Dharma, the supposed way of wisdom. And I found so many people who try to say that Jesus and Buddha essentially taught the same thing, so it's not a big deal which one you follow. Well, on the moral level, you can find some similarities of moral teachings, because uh, all religious reformers have a conscience, and they have some access to the moral law, as Romans 2 says. But you have these titanic differences between... Uh, the Buddha and the Christ. Mm -hmm. And I, right now I'm finishing up a book, actually, I might finish the publisher today. Uh, oh my gosh, you write so much. <laughs> You're like Hamilton. Well, I, have <laughs> a, I have a, the opportunity to do it right now in my life. But anyway, I'm writing this book comparing the world religions, and uh, I take a sentence from each world religion, I compare Jesus' statement, before Abraham was, I am, which is a claim to deity, uh, with Buddhist statement of life is suffering. 
and I use each statement as a window into the respective religions and worldviews. And it's, it's good to remember that comparison is the mother of clarity. And when it comes to world religions, a lot of people jam things together. Uh, they're very imprecise in their thinking, either in a positive way, like all religions must lead to the ultimate reality. Don't get too fussy about one being better than the other one. Or, of course, if you're an atheist, then you just say, well, all religions are false, and let's pursue a secular path. And I think both of those approaches are very mistaken. Yeah. You know, when I when I think about young adults and, you know, how they're doing this a la, a la carte or eclectic approach to, to faith, um, I'd like to ask you, you know, how do you think that you can recognize, you know, even, you know, even the strongest Christians may may be picking and choosing some things, you know, from other religions. How do you know if you're kind of being a little bit eclectic in your approach to faith right well it's very significant to know your bible to read and study and meditate on scripture to receive good biblical teaching and preaching on a regular basis and i know one of the problems with young adults is the distrust of institutions including the institution of the church and so you have this idea that I can be spiritual without being religious, so mm-hmm. I can follow Jesus, but I, why do I need to go to a, a church building or be a member of a particular group of Christians? I can kind of wing it. And that's not the teaching of the Bible. So if you identify with Jesus, and if you have any respect for the Bible, then you realize you're a part of the body of Christ, and we should meet together to pray and worship and hear the scriptures and so on. And that forms us. And if we're not formed by the culture of the church, we will be formed by the secular culture that face that uh, encounters us every day. So, absolutely, we need to, yeah, we need to not only believe the right things, but be shaped and formed to feel the right thing in a community of people and uh, weep with those that weep and laugh with those who laugh and worship together and confess our sins together. And that's the deepest, truest community is the body of Christ. So we dare not forsake that or make that kind of a, a second or third option for life. Right. You know, and, you know, just, you know, to be fair, um, one of the things that Christian, you know, churches, institutions, organizations do need to be mindful of is the moral integrity of mm-hmm. their leaders, because young adults do distrust, do have a good reason to distrust you know, Christian institutions, especially with some of the recent scandals that have come out, both sexual and financial. Um, and so it makes it ever more important that that leaders also be deeply grounded in the word and that, you know, organizations and boards, um, you know, use wisdom in selecting the leaders that will um, lead their organizations. Well, absolutely. There needs to be some, at least, prima facie skepticism, I guess, of um, the Church, sadly. Uh, The Church, as specified in Scripture, uh, is a wonderful, beautiful body, and Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the Church. But even in the early Church, uh, consider the Church of Corinth that Paul wrote two letters to, they had problems with immorality and false leadership and all the rest of it. So this is not a new thing. Well, we do need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, as Jesus said, even with respect to the Church. I think it's something Blaise Pascal said, that 
uh, men never do evil more readily than the name of religion. Right. Because bad religion, uh, or even good religion, badly appropriated, can give this sort of sacred justification to evil. You know, I'm, I'm God's man, so do what I say, and don't talk back, and don't report me, or God will kill you. You know the kind of horrible <laughs> patterns of abuse that we see. Right. But I think if you test a church against Scripture and pray and be discerning, um, most evangelical churches are not horribly, terribly corrupt. But it does happen, and we know this revelation of uh, the Southern Baptist denomination, where a lot of terrible sexual abuse have been covered up for decades in this mm-hmm. gigantic old boys club. And it's terrible. It's, it's a shame, but it doesn't discredit the Bible or Christ, thank God. Right, and thank God that, you know, some of these... Um, you know, scandals have come to light and that the yes, truth right. has been revealed. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we there can be, you know, a healing process to begin and a reckoning for those who have taken advantage, um, yes. you know, of their positions. Um, I'm always interested to, you know, to learn what I can about God and to learn more about who he is, you know, I've been in the Christian faith for a very long time, and I still, you know, of course, you know, as as everyone does, am getting to know him better. And I wonder if, you know, what do you think that the uniqueness of Christianity, you know, what are some of the things that you think that are important that it teaches us about who God is? Well, I think what's crucial is um, God is a personal and relational being who speaks, who communicates to us in Scripture. And the Holy Spirit uh, guides us and leads us and convicts us of our sin. And we have a standard, we have an authority we can go to, and that's Bible. And I've been a Christian now for uh, 46 years. I was baptized sometime in June of 1976 had come to Christ maybe a week or two before that. And I continue to learn and grow from Scripture. I am challenged by Scripture. I'm inspired by Scripture. I learn new things. Sometimes I change my mind if I realize I've misunderstood something. And it's not just sitting down and studying a book and getting more knowledge. It is that, no question. But yeah. it's the Holy Spirit who's the Holy, is the Spirit of Truth, guiding and correcting and uh, showing us how to live and how to understand the love of God, the grace of God, the standards of God with respect to the individual and society. So it's a relationship, a spiritual interaction, but it's not vague, fuzzy, amorphous. It's centered on things we can know from Scripture and and ways to relate to God and other people that are really life-giving and give us courage, the courage of our convictions. Well, thank you so much for joining us today again, Dr. Grotheis. Um, You're welcome. I know that there have been, the last time you were on the show, I had several people email me and ask me about um, the book. And it is the new edition of Christian Apologetics. And you can find it wherever books are sold. Is that right? Well, maybe not. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a big book. It's 830 pages. But you can get it from InterVarsity Press, you can get it from Amazon, and uh, I heard that uh, the tattered cover, Aspen Grove, has a copy. So oh, awesome. It if you want it. All right. Well, thank you so much. 
You're welcome. You've been listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Gray Scott. Visit our website at www.christiancurious.com to find more shows and find out more about us. That's www.christiancurious.com. Stay curious.